everywhere there are mm. women who are fighting for their agency over their bodies and their lives and their work, but it's kind of hard to say which women are part of, you know, the Chinese feminist movement or the Me Too movement. The, the most effective uh, way to fight against uh, censorship is just to repost information repeatedly online again and again. It's about um, uncontrollable, like, sort of ways of just distributing information. Yeah, yes, you're right. Welcome. I'm Izzy Roberts-Orr, Artistic Director of the Emerging Writers Festival, and you're listening to the Digital Writers Festival podcast. The Digital Writers Festival 2018 is an online festival exploring the unique relationship between technology and storytelling, accessible anywhere, anytime, by anyone with an internet connection. Join us right here in hyperspace between the 30th of October and the 3rd of November and find our full program at digitalwritersfestival.com. Come in, get comfortable and get curious as we hear from storytellers and artists from across the World Wide Web. Um, To begin, I would like to acknowledge First Nations and the traditional owners of this land, um, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, sovereignty never ceded and the struggle against colonization continues. Um, Welcome to the Digital Writers Festival podcast. This episode is called Digital Tactics and hashtag MeToo in China. My name is Kao Chue and I am a media educator and researcher interested in contesting carceral realities and digital futures. I'm joined by writer Qian Jinghua and Feminist Voices founding editor Lu Ping to discuss access to information, creating our own platforms and fortifying communities online. Um, welcome to each of you. Would you both like to introduce yourselves? Hello, uh, I'm Lu Ping. I'm a Chinese feminist activist and writer. Now I'm residing in New York State, have you the United States? and keep following the feminist movement in China. I'm Jinghua. I'm recording in Shanghai, China, but I'd also like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri, Bunurong, Wadarong, Jajawurong, and Tongarong people of the Kulin Nations, whose land I grew up on, whose stories have nourished me and helped me find a home there. I pay my respects to their elders, um, as well as to Aboriginal writers all through Australia, whose work has definitely shaped my own thinking on community and on resistance. Um, so to get into that, um, how I understand the Me Too movement is that it is not an event, but a structure of solidarity in which people around the world are creating Um, new societies based on questions of how to work together and how to build collective action. Um, But from the context of a very different and restricted digital sphere, internet censorship being very extensive in China, how has the role of technology shaped the hashtag MeToo movement in China? That is what we're going to be speaking on today. And I think my first question is, and perhaps Lu Ping, you can start with this, just to provide some context for listeners who might not be familiar with 
Chinese feminism in the context of China. How did the contemporary hashtag MeToo movement around Chinese feminism develop? Is there a historical basis to this movement? That's a long story. So where should we start? I think the, the uh, according to my own experience, uh, <laughs> the contemporary uh, history of Chinese feminist movement uh, started since the ninety since nineteen ninety five, when the World Conference on Women is uh, uh, was held in Beijing. Yeah, and since then, feminist uh, this feminist thought has been uh, spreading through uh, people, especially the women. Mm-hmm. Women groups and some organize some organizations has uh, established to address uh, with the women's uh, rights issues. Yes, uh, in terms of the movement of the young generation, uh, the very start was uh, the year of two thousand twelve. Yeah, I think when uh, some uh, fem- young feminist activists started to organize themselves and to speak up for the for the rights of the for the issues which uh, young generation uh, are concerned, and that year uh, was was also a start point that the that the young feminists uh, began to tap into the issue of sexual harassment. Yeah, and that was also the year where like actions like the blood splattered bridal um, gown that was that happened in two thousand and twelve, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. In the in the in the July of that year, uh, some uh, some volunteers in Shanghai organized a uh, organized a, a shocking event action, mm. which uh, is uh, titled as "I can I can be slutty, you can't harass me." And I think that's the first uh, action of the young uh, feminists to demonstrate their opinion on the issue of sexual harassment. Mm. That was six years ago. I suppose the more recent um, hashtag MeToo movement was built upon um, in 2015, the Feminist Five were arrested for handing out flyers and information. Was that, is that correct? Yes, in uh, in two thousand fifteen, some uh, five of our friends and uh, uh, yeah, core uh, number t- uh, feminist activists were arrested due to a plan to end sexual harassment on the public uh, transportation system. But uh, what I want to emphasize is that that this uh, that case didn't uh, stop uh, the movement of the young generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and the femini- uh, young feminists um, have been keeping uh, looking for opportunities to fight against sexual harassment. Yeah, and I think it's really important um, to emphasize that despite, I mean, not just the online censorship, but also, yeah, the fact that these activists were. Um, locked up for 37 days um that isn't like despite these efforts to um silence it's um still not uh, preventing people from thinking about 
how feminism can take hold in China. And I was wondering, Jinghua, perhaps you can tell us more about how the Chinese internet works. Um, what about the role of technology and its use by young activists, especially through social media like WeChat and Weibo? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, younger activists on on both um, feminism and LGBT issues, which are which um, are very interconnected, uh, are making amazing use of digital uh, spheres in terms of both um, movement building, like capacity building, and um, reaching out to media and getting their own stories out there, itself publishing and um, organizing. Um, but yeah, the Chinese internet is quite a unique beast. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very, um, there's very much sort of a state border, um, that shapes, uh, the mainland Chinese internet, uh, the great firewall locks out a lot of websites, uh, used and, and platforms used elsewhere in the world. So, you know, you might be aware of, uh, Google, Facebook, um, Instagram, um, YouTube, etc. Uh, but also um, a lot of foreign press. So uh, New York Times, for example, um, even though they have a, a quite popular Chinese language um, edition uh, and a lot of uh, mainland Chinese stories um, isn't accessible in China without uh, without using a VPN. So the Chinese internet is, is very much its own thing in terms of the websites that have, you know, millions of users in the mainland um, and the platforms. So Weibo is um, a big social platform. Uh, WeChat is initially a messaging app, but now uh, a really big uh, publishing platform as well with um, with kind of like a timeline feature as well as like public accounts where people publish. And um, those social platforms have been where a lot of uh, sexual assault and harassment allegations have first surfaced, um, as well as on other platforms like, um, uh, like message boards and, um, even, uh, Dolbam, which is, uh, often used for, you know, reviews, uh, and then, um, Zhihu, which is like a question and answer, uh, type site. So a lot of people are using these, uh, platforms to sometimes, um, connect survivors who have, uh, you know, to share their experiences, um, with a particular individual and sort of build, um, uh, cases, um, against people, uh, and then to, to share their stories. Uh, but yeah, the Me Too movement, I think in, China has been much more social media, even more social media driven, I think, than overseas where uh, in the US, for example, um, I think uh, mainstream press reporting was was quite instrumental in, um, say, the allegations against Harvey Weinstein and putting that case together and building it. Um, whereas in China, I think it's, it's uh, been much more reliant on... Uh, activists and and survivors finding their own voices um in social media yeah and um i mean you sort of spoke about how there are you know this there's like a multiplicity of platforms available for people to to be connecting um different stories but then also potentially as um, a tactic, right, to be moving um, these like survivor accounts of sexual harassment and abuse um, onto um, different platforms, depending on how the censors are reacting 
do you know much about that? Uh, yeah, I can, I can talk a little bit about that. I, I, um, I'm not an expert on, uh, surveillance and, and internet censorship, but it is, there's a lot of different parts to it. So there's different government agencies dealing with, um, with, uh, press and online publication and then with cybersecurity. Um, so even though it might seem from the outside, like very scary and monolithic and, and, you know, um, authoritarian, uh, it is really pervasive censorship, but it's also, it's not that monolithic. So there might be, um, for example, some things that are censored from Weibo, but then they still exist on WeChat, um, or they are, um, you know, a story is, uh, removed from, uh, from Zhihu, but by that time it's already been screenshotted and shared, you know, mm-hmm. on a lot of other platforms or it's doing the rounds in WeChat groups or, you know, so, um, so definitely having uh, a proliferation of sort of digital organizing, I think, helps keep things online um, when they can be taken down. Um, and I think another another aspect of it is that um, that a lot of people in China um, access uh, the internet primarily through their phones rather than computers. Um, so that kind of like instant uh, and messaging based. Um, media really works um in that environment and and even for messaging like wechat is Mm. you know is the most um is sort of the most visible platform now but people do still use qq and use a lot of um other uh platforms (laughs) even if they're still owned by the same company um but uh to to share stories and to organize um and i think a lot of the organizing a lot of the survivors are that um, I spoke to in my previous role yeah. in Six Tone and that our reporters um, spoke to, they were organising through um, different online portals. And, yeah, I think that um, also speaks to how difficult it is to manage um, the digital, like, ecosphere of China just because it's so, like, big and there's so many people using it. Um, but... I think a really good point that you're bringing up in terms of um, how many platforms there are is also this sort of sense of decentralization. Um, And to follow up on that, um, it's also widely known by now that the hashtag, um, hashtag MeToo in China was blocked on Weibo. Um, So in response to this, as I understand it, Weibo uses launched the alternative hashtag MeToo, which literally means rice bunny, but sounds like the English MeToo. Um, clearly, this is a really innovative tactic that um, I think a lot of, especially Western media, has caught on to um, in, in the effort to avoid government censors. But my question is, how widely was MeToo actually used? Is it still being used or did it also get blocked? Um, Lu Ping, would you like to respond to that? I think me too. Me too. I, I think what, what the, the hashtag you mentioned actually is me too in China. Anyway, that the, the, those all of those hashtags has been censored <laughs> several several months ago, and and people people uh, kept inventing other hashtags. Some were in dialect. Of Chinese, <laughs> or in for or in foreign languages, so foreign languages such as that that much. Uh, anyway, any kind uh, 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 <laughs> in in foreign languages, but all of them, all of them, 
or sen, what 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 kind of sen, sensor? But but you know, uh, but well, and now people uh, started to use hashtag to uh, to identify cases. For example, you can use hashtag of Zhu Jun to hashtag to to identify a, a famous a case uh, a case about a famous of uh, central television. So anyway, so so I think so the hashtag could lost its efficacy. But what's important is that the movement keep going on. <laughs> yeah, at the price of hashtag. More example uh, about uh, how people organize themselves uh, in social media. So can uh, you can imagine how fast it is um, we chat that people can organize themselves. You can you can organize a, a WeChat WeChat group in several minutes. Uh, just uh, by the use of uh, the code, a QR code. Yeah, as an example. Yeah, so for example, uh, if there's one particular person who um, someone has has had, uh, you know, has experienced like sexual assault at the hands of, they might um, one survivor might uh, just create a group, same as creating a, a group on you know Facebook Messenger or, or WhatsApp or anything else um, with you know a few people um, who have stories, and then they make a QR code for that group, share that in other groups of of say. Uh, colleagues or friends or um, people uh, there in their university class or whatever saying you know come forward if you know anything about this um, this individual or if you've heard anything and then you know maybe people jump in that group they share things and then if they do find that there's something maybe then they make another group that they invite reporters into or that they um, you know then um, can reach out to other people with so it, it can happen really fast um, but also I think the, the in terms of the hashtag, I think that is just one example of how there's, you know, this constant game of catch up between activists in um, any area in China um, on any topic and authorities are trying to shut down conversations. So, you know, people will launch something, then it gets shut down, then they <laughs> create um, some creative alternative version of it. Um, and there's been so many examples of that using uh posting a photo of uh, an, an article instead of the articles to, to avoid getting, um, avoid getting uh, keyword monitoring, avoid activating um, keyword monitoring or, um, you know, doing a drawing so that it avoids like photo monitoring, um, posting something upside down. Um, it got to a point where I think when Liu Xiaobo died, um, the, even the candle emoji uh, was censored so it, it you know there's this sort of constant catch-up and that's with both words and stories and memes and hashtags but also on the level of um, different uh, digital platforms so um, you know I, I think you know a few years ago even uh, WeChat chat groups uh, or even one year ago actually WeChat chat groups maybe weren't scrutinized to the extent they are now but now there have been stories of people being jailed um, for something they posted in a in a private chat um, and then uh, a sort of in the last year we've seen live streaming which is which is uh, taken off hugely in the last couple of years in China um, live streaming is getting more attention so there's you know there's a lot more government policy and surveillance and scrutiny and um, and penalties for companies uh, that are live streaming and, and what kind of content they're allowed to do because that was maybe one way that people could circumvent um, you know, uh, surveillance because there's, you know, the, I guess, 
you know, maybe there weren't censors for a while watching live streams or, or paying attention to that. So, um, yeah, so it's, it, it, it's always this catch up, you know, people innovate, people find a new way to do things and to get stories out there. And then authorities, I think, catch up to it eventually. And then you have to find an, another way <laughs> again. Yeah. And yeah, this takes a lot of creativity, especially when it comes to, well, the, the example that you gave about, um, you know, obviously posting screenshots of, of text as opposed to writing text so that um, images, because images are harder to automatically filter. But but then um, I guess additional to that, it's also uploading like distorted and remixed versions of these images to challenge these like character recognition and image recognition algorithms. I heard that there was also use of blockchain technologies to prevent posts from being deleted at all. Um, And for listeners who might not know, blockchain technologies are basically public, permanent, and decentralized monitoring and verifying of data transactions. Um, Luping, do you know much about the... um, I think what I heard was that someone used Ethereum to actually attach a letter to this transaction. Yes, people do 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 use blockchain technologies to store to preserve their articles, preserve their articles and information articles and information, especially the accused, the, the stories of the of the story of the victim victims. Uh, and one of my friends about the uh, article on the history of the anti sexual harassment movement to blockchain so that people can access that. But the problem is that it actually that technology is not so easy to operate. <laughs> you know, it would take too long, t- too long time and complex steps to upload a single article. So it it's not so effective. It is useful, but not so effective, <laughs> I should say. Yeah. And it's not, and, and it's not, I suppose, too accessible either, because you have to have um, un, like an understanding of how blockchain works, and also um, the sort of yeah capacity to, um, I suppose, yeah, build it right to actually um, use it. Um, but Lu Peng, I also heard in March, um, in in March this year, Chinese censors. Um, during International Women's Day, permanently shut down the Weibo account for feminist voices around the arrest of the Feminist Five activists. Could you tell us about how your team reacted or like organized around that? And maybe later, Jinghua, you can, I don't know if anything like that has happened to Six Tone. So Lu Ping, you first. Uh, the two uh, most major accounts of feminist platform on Weibo and WeChat was both um, banned uh, after the midnight of this uh, International Women's Day. Then at that time, we have about 250,000 followers. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so we we lost we lost so many friends. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so and uh, and for our friends, the feeling of my horror is that oh it the it looks sad when my best friends died <laughs> because the feminist voices uh, was so important to some young feminists. What we did 
respecting what we did, uh, we tried to sow the Weibo and WeChat. We tried to brought them to the uh, local count in Beijing and in and Shenzhen. But uh, unfortunately, uh, both uh, the local accounts in these cities refused our uh, cases. Yeah. Actually, this is uh, there is a negotiation between the authorities and the uh, uh, Gantt uh, international companies uh, that they will never be sold uh, because of their, uh, their the, the behavior of the censorship. <laughs> Yes. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, okay. I, I want to add something about uh, the uh, your last question. Answer the question. I think the most uh, effective methods to fight against the censorship is not any advanced technology. Actually, is uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the the most effective uh, way to fight against censorship is just to repost information repeatedly online again and again. <laughs> you know, it's about um, uncontrollable, like sort of ways of just distributing information. Yeah, yes, you're right. Yes, uh, if you keep repost, uh, if everyone, if people, are, uh, people yeah. are keeping repost uh, information onto the internet, it can reach out people, reach out to the people, reach out mm. to the public. So the censorship uh, doesn't work. The consequence is that censorship doesn't work. So people can people can read it. So that's mm. the most uh, effective way, <laughs> I, I, I think. Yeah, as long as it's visible for even a little bit of time, right? Someone will see it. Yes. Um, Jinghua, how about um, you with your time at Six Tone? Sorry, I want to go back to um, <laughs> when, when we're talking about the the impact of censorship on Me Too directly. I think uh, one other thing I feel and... P might know more about this, but I feel that in China there aren't as many major media outlets um, doing the kind of big reporting that has um, has been a big part of um, putting Me Too in the spotlight overseas. Um, and I mean, you know, investigating allegations, talking to survivors, fact-checking um, everything, uh, you know, getting uh, a lot of independent witnesses as well um, and statements. Um, and I uh, feel that most of the cases that have become, and it has been often um, individual cases that have become big hashtags or or um, viral stories rather than the, you know, than the, the topic as a whole. Um, but a lot of those have been self-published. Um, and I wonder if partly it is, um, as with so many stories, that it's not worth reporters doing all of that legwork for something that might get censored. Um, but often uh, there are, there are, there have been a few that have um, made it into media, but often after they've already been really big on uh, social media. And for some of the stories that Six Tone uh, covered, um, they weren't uh, they weren't really in um, sort of uh, mainstream. Sorry, oh. they they weren't really in like legacy newspaper press um, in China. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Ping, if you if you know more about if anything um, if there's been any reporting uh, in China after the head of JD dot com uh was arrested but but not charged that's richard veal right um yeah 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 uh 
I don't know if there's if there's been um, any more coverage of that, but that would, for example, be the sort of story that you imagine, um, you know, a lot of people would put um, effort into. It's it's uh, it's a huge topic on every front, but I don't know if it's got the same kind of reach. Uh, people are waiting for the uh, next stop of that case, and I think. That's de uh, definitely uh, influential. I think the interesting uh, phenomena is now that in China, uh, mass media uh, can really report the uh, Me Too movement and those all of those cases because of the because of the censorship on mass media is very intensive now. So all the uh, communication of the movement. Uh, rely on social media, rely on uh, original people, rely on the on themselves, on, on the activists, um, original activists themselves. So this uh, uh, this is uh, uh, the uh, one of the phenomena of this uh, this this year. Uh, another thing I want to add to add about the, the story of the uh, feminist uh, voices. I mean the, that we we know we know it is kind of impossible mission to reactive our account or hold uh, the internet companies and the authorities responsible. Yes, it, uh, but uh, what what we did is to utilize uh, this encounter to uh, mobilize and organize our followers, uh, our communities. So we appreciate, uh, we are, uh, very much appreciate that we received hundreds of articles and photos and uh, comments about the about the about the history and encounter of feminist movement. So after after that uh, that happened in uh, this March, and after afterwards, what was inspiring is that the movement kept going on. Even when we lost, uh, we lost our account, but the moment, the moment didn't stop. So I mean, um, so the authority, the censorship, <laughs> didn't work <laughs> from this perspective. Jinghua mentioned, well, talked about, in a way, you know, well, mass media in China is, you know, how it's like state governed, and hence there is that importance of. Um, building alternative media platforms, um, despite the power of existing social media platforms that are sort of channeling the um, high speed of like information dissemination stuff like that. But um, and Lu Ping, you talked about feminist voices, um, but I also know that. Feminist Voices does work monitoring and reporting on mass media reports, right, on women's rights and gender equality in China, but also producing independent information about women's movements um, on gender equality in China. So these, this is, Feminist Voices is clearly an example of an alternative media platform that challenges the politics of visibility but also, I mean, like, and doesn't just uplift sexual harassment cases, but also the work of feminist activists of the grassroots um, and maybe like the sort of core leadership that is necessary in a movement. Um, I don't know if you can speak more to this um, work, like 
producing verifiable information and um but also um for you uh Jinghua does six like what where do you see six tone sort of sitting within the realm of like alternative media platforms as a platform that produces news and commentary on in english um and obviously has its own limitations as well Okay, uh, in 2011, when uh, Feminist Voices uh, created its uh, account on Weibo, feminism, the word of feminist, feminism was so sensitive at that time. So one of my friends said at the time that, oh, you are so brave to use this word. <laughs> but uh, so people, people, was, people were afraid of feminism. But uh, and now in this in two thousand eighteen, we what we what we are seeing is that there are so many many people identifying them, identifying themselves as feminists. How can this situation happen? That because of the work of alternative media mm-hmm. and the movement, not because of the, but not the work of mass media. The, the most important difference of. Alternative between alternative media and mass media is that alternative media is mm. part of the social moment. The function of alternative media is not just to share information to report news, but to promote the uh, moment, to raise awareness, and to organize the community. So I think the the, the function of the alternative alternative media can't be re- replaced. By mass media, so this is so, and this is why uh, alternative media accounts such as feminist voices was censored uh, because uh, authority don't want to say that people organize at a network. If people organize around a uh, feminist voices or other social media alternative account as a community, they then they can do something collective. Then they can organize their own movement. So. I mean, this, yeah. Anyway, so that's okay. Yep, and the I suppose the threat is seen as just as simply as um, people being able to organize on their own. Yes, what's most dangerous from the perspective of the authority is not information, but the organizing of the ordinary people. I want to ask um, how you see a platform like Six Tone um, that produces commentary and news in English on contemporary China. How does it sort of fit in? Like, is it? Do you consider it an alternative media platform? And sort of like maybe speak to the constraints that your um, yeah this platform has had to work in within. Sure. Yeah. So Six Tone is is uh is owned by a it is part of a state owned media company. So I mean, like all media published in China, even if it's online or in English, it's subject to state censorship. Um, and you know has has had articles removed and um things like that. Um, I think in a sense, uh, it 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 is an alternative in terms of um, sorry. Uh, I think uh, all all the people who work there, we've worked really hard to, um, I guess, build certain values and ethics into how we report and how we uh, think about topics. Um, 
but I don't, it's not an alternative in terms of, it's, it's not alternative media in terms of being um, outside of the state media, um, mm-hmm. the long fingers of the mm-hmm. state media apparatus, I guess. Um, I think that another thing I want to mention is that uh, I think there, yeah, there are a lot of people doing great work um, in uh, trying to, you know, get stories out there in, in um, traditional media, in self-publishing and alternative media, but uh, even so a lot of um, a lot of independent voices are heavily reliant on these particular these big online platforms on Weibo and WeChat um, you know uh, I would say most of the readers of alternative platforms are accessing them sorry most readers um, of alternative voices are accessing them through mainstream platforms like WeChat and Weibo. And I think that's going to be more of a problem as those platforms um, uh, develop their internal censorship systems more and more. And we've seen in the last, just in 2018 alone, um, heaps of these platforms have had um, either parts of their platform taken down or been suspended. Um, You know, Weibo had their whole homepage change um a lot of other uh sites have even gone offline um for a week for you know a cleanup um they've had um they've added in more and more surveillance staff and um and more systems billy billy in particular which is kind of one of the biggest video streaming sites um and then uh, a lot of live streaming sites uh, like doing um which is a popular um, mobile kind of like short video platform um all of these have um now have uh, more and more, I guess, censorship staff internally, um, as well as a lot of them, um, they have party cells within the company, even, you know, as a private um, company or, a, um, you know, a company listed on a, um, on the U.S. stock, ex- on a U.S. stock exchange like Billy Billy is, um, they still have party cells um, within them who, you know, are about um, promoting the great values of the party and of the government. So that um, that reach is in all the major platforms. So I think that's, that's going to affect um, uh, independent publishing that relies on those platforms, same as, I guess, um, uh, as happens overseas with with Facebook um, algorithms or, you know, uh, YouTube, like all of those platforms uh, can change their policies overnight and really affect the people who rely on them. But I think in China, um, even more so. Um, So, yeah, it it is really necessary to have these voices, um, but also for them to constantly be innovating the way they reach their audience. Yeah, and um, yes, um, to sort of like think about the multiplicity of voices as well, um, Me Too in China arguably focuses more on people of Han ethnicity. Um, like many movements, it also holds questions of access. So, for instance, like education, but also technology and digital literacy. Um, I was wondering if the two of you had thoughts around how it might be to craft a non-hegemonic non-hierarchical sort of cross-cultural feminist solidarity in China as a whole. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll just say a few things first. Yeah, so I think everywhere there are women mm. who are fighting for their agency over their bodies and their lives and their work, but it's kind of hard to say which women are part of, you know, the Chinese feminist movement or the Me Too movement. 
Um, so I kind of feel like on the one hand, yes, feminists who have power, who have uh, more privilege, who have uh, bigger platforms should pay more attention to working class women, to areas beyond Beijing and Shanghai and Guangzhou, to ethnic minority women and um, the unique dimensions of um, oppressions and uh, injustices that, that different women face. Um, but then at the same time, I think it's really important that women don't need permission from the Me Too brand or from, mm. you know, high profile or professional feminists to organize. Um, and I think some of the coverage of Me Too sometimes forgets that, that, uh, you know, maybe the hashtag is new, but women have always been warning each other about dangerous men and women have always been organizing. So, for example, if, you know, a group of young women in a factory that makes phone cases, you know, um, experience uh, harassment from a coworker or a boss, there are a lot of ways for them to organize um, that might be really different from how, uh, you know, university students um, might organize around uh, a lecturer, you know, and, and uh, even if it's uh, less visible to the public, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, less effective. And in some ways, uh, I think often in China, sometimes, um, you know, there, there can be ways uh, that not being visible can also be effective. So, yeah, I think, uh, I guess I want to um, be able to balance, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I guess the, the more public, the more high profile um, feminist movement uh, being more diverse um, and more astute about the different types of um, work that it, it does. Um, but then at the same time, like recognize that feminism, feminism happens autonomously, um, you know, everywhere that women are. Mm. Um, and I mean, maybe Luping, you can sort of speak to the what I asked about um, accessibility of this movement, right? Through um, education, but also being able to yep use you know technology and social medias and having literacy in that. Do you think that um, let's just say the older generation of feminists in China? Um, are connected to the like are connected to this young younger me too movement that's interesting to be honest i think the uh, firstly i don't uh, recognize much of the concept of generation which implies implies that the young generation inherit something from the mm. <laughs> new old generation. I think that's not the, the, the reality of the, the story of in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, definitely uh, the young generation shares an important feminist knowledge and and frame of discourse from the elder activists, but actually it's. Uh, uh, from the uh, their strategies, they renovate the strategies of the elder families. The most important thing is that they, they changed, they transformed the the the, uh, the strategies of the moment, and so that they could they could got the achieve. Now we are seeing. So, um, yeah, I I I think uh, I want to praise the young generation as much as I can because they make uh, unprecedented uh, achievement, but because they take uh, uh, risks uh, in this harsh 
uh, environment. Can I can I ask the a previous a previous question? Yes, yes, question. of course. Yeah, yeah. The most uh, most uh, participants of the feminist movement and the Me Too movement to date uh, are well educated uh, young people in uh, big cities. Yeah, that's the truth. But not but that's not because uh, they are added, <laughs> uh, but because they are not uh, bounded. Uh, Closely with the existing system, uh, system of uh, mm, uh, patriarchal system. Mm. I mean, so uh, so I mean, if uh, it is, uh, um, for example, if you are a housework housewife, if uh, in a middle age, if you have your time to participate in the social uh, public uh, public. Uh, Life because you have no, you have no, you, know, you can't uh, dom your own time, your own daily life. But young people, young people have have great time to participate in social movements. <laughs> and and but you you have immigrant workers, you, you should uh, um, you should spend uh, most of your time in the factories. So mm. that's the reason you. Cannot uh, participate at the moment. I think that's the truth. That's not the force of the existing participants, but that's the truth. Uh, we should know that the uh, the the biggest challenge of the move of, of the feminist movement is the lack of resource. I mean, if we have resource, we can reach out to more people. Mm. But actually, we have no uh, we have no resource. The core feminist activity in China. Are living in poor condition because they have no they they have they <laughs> they devoted most of their time to the feminist work so they can't make their own living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most of them are, are, are very poor. So how can they reach out? How can they how can they connect with people with with others mm-hmm. because they have no resource? Yeah, I think the problem is the feminist feminist movement in China or in other countries always. Have no enough resource to support its participants to reach out and to reach out more people. Yeah. I mean, and another 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 challenge is that it is very it is very risky. It's very dangerous if you try to connect with others. You know, so people uh, you will be harassed by the police if you want to organize an event for twenty or fifty or thirty people. So how can you how can you reach out to other groups? Mm-hmm. That, that, so that's a true that's a reality of China now. Yeah, and I think this um, speaks to you know the question of how we sustain our um, like organizing work, how how it can be sustained, especially in um, like in in China, for instance, where. Um, I think there are like similarities, but you know it's obviously very different um, to Western cultures and countries in in the way that surveillance and like government action is very like even more pervasive and um, yep implementable in a way. Okay, so to wrap up, I think I want to echo though um, what Lu Ping said about how extraordinary you know that there are so many brave women in China who are speaking out about being sexually harassed or assaulted in spite of all these obstacles 
imposed by the state government and technology censors. And of course, the very real consequences of speaking out, like these are the women um, who are putting their bodies on the line. Uh, and also you know, that it's incredibly important to build an understanding of feminism as occurring and existing in many different parts of the world, um, to learn from the ways that they influence and interact with each other in the struggle for justice. Uh, so thank you, Jinghua and Luping. Um, for the listeners, make sure you follow Feminist Voices um, on Facebook and also Free Chinese Feminists. That's um, another related uh, platform. And also check out Six Tone online. The Emerging Writers Festival brings you the Digital Writers Festival again in 2018. And you can find the full program live online now. Check it out at digitalwritersfestival.com and join us to listen, learn and play right here in hyperspace from the 30th of October until the 3rd of November. Our theme music is the magical Huntley's Please from their EP Songs in Your Name. Find them on Facebook as Huntley Music. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that First Nations peoples are the first storytellers of this land and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to the Elders of the lands this podcast reaches. (laughs) 